Well, good morning online, good morning Alma, good morning Mount Pleasant. Conflict, if you've never experienced it, wait five minutes. It'll come and it's going to get you. Welcome to week number two of this series, Help. Last week we had a chance to look at anxiety and a lovely opportunity to talk to several people throughout the week who are just saying, look, that has been a signature part of my life. Panic attacks and being worried about things and losing sleep and anxiety and just to hear in conversations, just the work of God in their lives has been tremendous. Next week, I'm going to preach a message that is very, very unique for me. I'm going to preach a message on just family dynamics and relationships when there's breakdown. And uh, the, the message I'm going to preach, I've never preached a message like this before in my life. And I'm just going to tell you right now. I will be in tears. I'm just going to lose it next week, uh, probably in a nice way, but bring your Kleenex because I'm going to be a mess. But I think it's going to be very, very powerful. Today, we're going to take a look at this thing called conflict. It escapes nobody. If you haven't been there, just wait a few minutes. If you're alive, you have experienced conflict. Personality clashes, strongly opinionated people, genuine misunderstandings, hurt feelings, he said, she said, children, he took my toy. I had it first. She called me a name. I called her a name. Teenagers, don't tell me what to do. You don't know anything. I don't want to. Husbands, inattentive, insensitive, ego, passive, sharp words. Wives, I got nothing. <laughs> Practically perfect in every way. The Bible admits it. It literally says, sparks are going to fly. Look at the scripture in the New Testament. As much as it is possible, live at peace with one another. In other words, it may not be possible. And I'm sure almost all of us have bumped into somebody who is just so rude, so calloused, so argumentative, just people looking for a fight. It doesn't matter how nice you are, how gracious you are, patient or loving, whatever. There's no talking to them. And, and that is the case. That is the truth. Today, I'm going to start by giving you the end. Today, I'm going to begin by giving you the destination, the, the biblical solution. So I'm going to say this to you right now. Conflict. And this world today is just riddled in conflict, isn't it? It's everywhere. I'm going to give you um, the, an author by the name of Fran Dupin, he, he, he just said three things, and I was so struck by this. I'm going to give you this in the front end. I'm going to say it in the back. This is your destination the next time conflict touches your life. And I'm going to give you a, a warning on this. These words are going to beckon you and call you to maturity. Now, the problem with maturity is none of us want to be mature, <laughs> And the opposite to being mature is we want to be infantile, right? We want to be little babies who kick and scream and fight and get into conflict and win the fight and have our way. That is in every one of us. It's our nature. And God is beckoning you. The word of God today is going to call you to maturity. So this is a word for those of you who seriously would say, in my relationship with Christ, I actually want to grow mature. I don't want to be infantile for the remainder of my life. So listen to these three things very, very carefully. Number one, this is your destination the next time conflict touches your life. Number one, the first thing that you do is you speak to God. And in doing so, your heart trembles in humility because you hear his voice. Now, can I ask you, who's doing that? Nobody. 
Nobody is doing that. Conflict, right, I'm going to say my piece, I'm going to get back, I'm going to defend my thing, I'm going to let them know, I'm going to put that right. Hold on a second. Number one, you are going to speak to God, and in speaking to God, you tremble in humility as you hear his voice uh, speak into your life. Nobody's doing that. That's maturity. Number two, you pray and you intercede. Now, we actually study the word intercede in our summer series in the book of Exodus in the life of Moses. To intercede is like prayer multiplied by 10, passionate, battling prayer on behalf of another person. Number two, you pray and you intercede for this other person that you're in conflict with instead of just finding fault. Who's doing that? Nobody. We just rush to finding fault. Nobody's doing that. Number three, you become a peacemaker who works to build Christ-centered unity in your family, in your church, and in your city. You become a peacemaker. This is Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is describing all of these incredible scenarios and and a way to live your life, loving your enemies, and and that it's blessed to be meek, and it's blessed to be gentle, and it's blessed to be poor in spirit. And people are like, what is he talking about? He crescendos in that most famous sermon sermon to say, sort of the ultimate destination is to be a peacemaker. When conflict touches your life, You say, I'm going to become a peacemaker. I'm going to champion unity in my family, my relationships, in my church, in my work, in my city. Who's doing that? Nobody is doing that. Let me show you how it all started. Genesis chapter 3. And he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. And you will desire to control your husband. How's that going? And he will rule over you. Oh my goodness. And to the man he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. These verses are a curse. They're describing a curse. All of your life, you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you. Though you will eat of its grains by the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you... This is... Until you return to the ground from which you were made, for you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. I love the word of God, but that is a miserable passage of Scripture. It is painful. Now, there's a Christian psychologist who was commenting on this, and he he brings two questions to bear that I never would have considered. I, I want you to listen to how he describes this. He says, what we just read is not a happy passage. It speaks about the reality of what it means to be a woman in this world. The reality of what it means to be a man today in this world. The reality of the pain and the angst and the suffering that is common and I don't have to persuade anyone about. We all know about this. The the unique arrays in which we experience difficulty in this life. And we share this as a result of being children of Adam and Eve. As a a woman, as you look at this passage of Scripture, there are two things that you will suffer for sure. The first is that you will have pain in childbearing. Now, if you're thinking, ha-ha, I think I know an out. We've got doctors and epidurals, and maybe maybe you never had kids, maybe you don't want to have children, and you're thinking, ha-ha, didn't get me, I'm good. You're looking at that Scripture way too literally. 
In the context of relationship, we're talking about conflict. In the context of relationship, there is something in a woman that needs to give birth to relationship. And it will be painful. It will be agonizingly painful in your life. And yet there is this need in every woman, this desire to be in relationship. Secondly, we look at this passage and it says that every relationship that we give to is like giving birth. Closeness and growth and goodness will always be fraught with pain. And then we see this desire for her husband and this ruling over her. The phrase, your desire for your husband, is that a good word? Well, the same word is used one chapter later in Genesis chapter 4 when it talks about Cain and Abel, these two brothers, this first murder ever. And when Cain is riddled with this jealousy towards his brother, God is warning him, look, you're going down the wrong road. And he says, Cain, you do not know that sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. Same word in two different chapters. The meaning of the word contextually is this, is this craving inside of a woman. This desperation, it almost overwhelms you to the point of where you would do anything to get rid of emptiness that exists inside of you. And as a consequence of that desperation, your desire is for your husband and you try to control him and he tries to to rule over you and he doesn't want you to feel and he doesn't want you to feel at the levels that you do because he doesn't understand that. This is a a difference between men and women. And he will try to shame you and silence you and detach himself from you. How many marriages have I just described? What you have here, whether you're married or whether you're not, is the reality of conflict between men and women. The scripture speaks to it in the Bible, I think, so early, so quickly, because we're always going to be experiencing this conflict. And what is the conflict? To put it simply for every woman in this room, there is something in you, in your heart, that knows that you are just too much for men that you try to relate to. How many women here would say, I think I was too much for my father. I was too much for that boyfriend or that other boyfriend. I'm too much for my husband. The sense inside of you, I've got too much going on in me, too much emotion, too much hurt, too much anger, too much desire. Sometimes I just feel I, like I just need to sort of tune myself down. I need to lower the thermostat so that the heat in this relationship can be manageable because I'm just too much for my husband. And then he comes towards me and it's almost as though in his coping, he just withdraws from me or he assaults me, neither of which is love. And as a result, and Dan Allender, this Christian psychologist, he brings it to one singular question for women. He says it like this, am I too much? How many women have said this of themselves? Tone it down. There's too much going on inside of me, too much cravings and desire. It's too much for me. And it leaves so many women silent and retreating or turning to other relationships or looking to find the answer in their children or in their jobs or in their friendships or at work or at home, some way to take away this craving and loneliness. What about the lads? What is this curse for men? It's also twofold. The curse for men is that in everything you do, 
Everything you do, men, whether it's work or play or something for fun or hobbies or friendships or marriage or children, everything that you do, you will have to face thorns and thistles. Every single day you go out into a world that is not pliable, it is not supple, it does not give fruit to you easily. And you must plow the fields to bring fruit by the sweat of your brow and the blood of your hands. Another way of putting it is this, everything is difficult for a man. It seems as though everything will cost me. Nothing comes easily. I always have to fight for it. Everything seems uphill all the way. And the second point is whatever you build, whatever you strive towards, whatever you try to create in your life, maybe even something extraordinary, the writer in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 comments on that. And actually, I'm not joking you, the writer in Ecclesiastes, it is cynical what he says. He says, whatever you build, however much money that you make, whatever glory you have on this earth, this is what he says in Ecclesiastes. Do you want to know what will happen to it eventually? And it's mirrored in Genesis chapter 3, what we just read. He says, eventually, everything that you have, it will be given to your son. And in Ecclesiastes, it describes him as a fool, and it will be misused. In Genesis chapter 3, it says, it's just dust, and so are you, and it's all going to turn to dust, and so will you. Oh my goodness, it's miserable stuff. And here's the tragedy. Everything that you do one day will turn to dust. The core word here for so many men is I feel like a failure. I don't care how successful you are. I've, to, I've spoken to many successful men over the years. I don't care how much money you have in your bank account or what kind of empire you think you've built. Every single man, it seems that when I talk to them, they feel like, I don't know that I'm enough. If the question for women is, am I too much? The question for a man is, I'm not enough. Let's put that together under one roof. Ouch. Do you see these two simple points? Do you see what a woman is feeling? I'm too much. And yet I'm in a relationship with a man who says, I'm not enough. I feel so lonely, I don't know what to do with these desires inside of me, and it comes to chaos and then to the point of conflict. That is the biblical world that you have been brought into. Fun stuff. Now, allow me to season that with the context of where we live right now. Three observations. I think as I say this, you're going to go, yep. Absolutely. First observation. There was a day in our lives where I could be spending time with my friend, my buddy. And over the course of time, we would realize we agree on about seven out of ten things. And the three out of ten things that we disagree on, he'd look at me and he'd say, you're a moron. And I'd say, no, 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 you're an idiot. And we would laugh. And we would get on with our friendship and we would get on with our lives. That day seems to be over. And what I've observed today is, very uniquely, is that if two people cannot agree on 10 out of 10 things, I am seeing people turn their backs on each other and dismantle their friendships. Because they cannot see eye to eye on everything, they quite literally take the old-fashioned phrase and they bring it to bear. They add insult to injury. They wound each other. They speak ill of each other. 
they, re- they break their relationship. And I don't remember that even just a few years ago, but I seem to see that all the time today. To disagree with me is the equivalent of being my enemy. Observation number two. In 2020, I believe that we experienced what might be described as the most volatile, combative, mudslinging, and polarized election cycle possibly in the history of this country, certainly in our lifetime. I've just never seen it like that before. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that mainstream media has played a concerted role in sending a message that says, the message that we're telling you is above reproach. That we are correct and right in everything that we express, every decision and action that we state, while at the same time demonizing the other side as absurdly wrong and perhaps even immoral. And what that has accomplished is it has served to cause people to entrench themselves against each other. While it is very appropriate and necessary for godly men and women to enter into realms like media and politics, this has been extremely difficult. And I have witnessed too many brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ who have given way to Anger and hatred and foul language and disdain and unkindness that has sometimes given way to a loss of friendship? How can this be in the family of God? And some of you here listening to me today are still hurt and you're still wounded. You have become frustrated and disillusioned and you have experienced the grief of lost friendship. Sometimes friends that you had had for years Maybe you were responsible for that. Maybe you had a halo and you didn't do a single thing. It usually is two people. But you would sit here today and you would say, I don't know how to pick up the pieces. I don't know how this has happened. And I don't know how to put it back together again. Observation number three. From the last 24 months, there has been disunity and conflict that has thrived around this pandemic, highly charged opinions about lockdowns and open doors and closed doors and vaccines and masks, and putting aside the issue itself, I want to highlight how we have treated each other, spoken to each other, that has left us limping. Dear God, am I just too much these cravings and desires that seem to be always birthed in pain. God, am I inadequate? I am not enough because everything I try to do seems to be just met with difficulty and thorns and thistles. We put that into the context where you cannot disagree with anybody. Entrenched opinions around society and culture and politics and all that is going on with a deficit of love. Holy Spirit, would you please speak to us? Do you see how conflict is ripe in our culture today? And so I want to give you, I think, just Holy Spirit awarenesses over your life. Holy Spirit awarenesses. I want you to do conflict because you're going to have to do it. But I want you to do it like you've never done it before. Three awarenesses from the Holy Spirit. Number one, I want you to know this. The enemy is laughing at you. He is belly laughing head back. If you are caught up in all of that, 
I want you to see today the father of lies at work. Such a buzzword today is tolerance, right? You can believe anything, I can believe anything, and I, we're just going to be tolerant. You can be tolerant of me, and we'll all just be tolerant together. Today, I want to call you to be intolerant of the father of lies. More than any person or more than any issue. Where there is division, it's not your father. Where there is bickering and, ang- and arguing, it's not Jesus. Where there is rude opinions with a deficit of love, it's not the Holy Spirit in you. And the enemy of your soul is laughing at you. Look at what I have them doing. They are dancing to my merry tune. I have laid the bait of offense and anger and pride and ego and my rights and who does she think she is and who does he think he is and they have taken the bait and I am reeling them in and I am causing them to replay that person and that issue and that problem and that conversation in their minds again and again and now I've gotten them embittered and infuriated and distracted and sleepless and I've robbed their peace and now they're becoming negligent as fathers and mothers and husbands and wives and friends and carriers of the gospel and servants in the house of God because I've got their eyes taken off their precious father. I'm laughing. I pray you would become intolerant of that. A second awareness from the Holy Spirit for you. You must reflect on your reflection. I'm going to ask you today to take a look in the mirror. I need you to know this conflict isn't wrong. It's not. It's inevitable. Anger isn't even wrong. Now, they can go to wrong places. Standing up for injustice is not wrong. Stopping abuse is wonderful. That's a right and godly thing to do. We see Jesus, the most obvious example in the New Testament, getting angry, going into the temple because they were abusing poor people. They had turned a house of worship into a money-making racket, and he comes in, and he's furious, and he turns over tables with a whip in his hand. But I pray the Holy Spirit would bring you to a place of conviction in this moment. That you would just take a second to say, wait a second, what what about me? What about my life? What about the conflicts that I have had? What about the tape that I have replayed in my mind? What about the words that I have written on social media? What about the tone of what I have spoken? Did you represent the gospel well? Did you stand as one who represents the love of Jesus Christ in all that you said and did. I've got to reflect on my reflection. Awareness number three from the Holy Spirit today is that you may be quite wounded right now. And I want to say this lovingly and gently to you. Pardon the cliche, but it may be very true that hurt people hurt people. Have you ever asked the question, you ever, you ever looked back at yourself after 24 hours and said, what on earth did I do? Why did I say that? You ever done that with yourself? What is wrong with me? And I'll tell you what it is. You're hurt. You're actually hurt. And in this season, you have entered into conflict and it has taken a toll And we don't like to acknowledge that because we're too busy being right. We don't want to acknowledge that we've actually taken a few jabs that were kind of black and blue because we're too busy being noble in our own eyes 
Church, it's okay not to be okay. Help me, God. I'm hurt. It's okay to say, these last 15 rounds, they took a toll, and I'm a little black and blue from this. I used to be close to certain people, and I've lost something, and there's grief in that. I called them my brother and my sister, and now we don't seem to be able to make eye contact. Eye contact. How did that happen? Well, hurt people hurt people. It's about a month ago, I found myself in a, in a public setting. There was a few people around, and uh, there was a guy, stand, a young man standing in front of me, maybe in his early 20s. And I don't know what it was about him, but I did not like what I saw. I could overhear him a little bit. He wasn't talking to me. He had nothing to do with me. But he was doing his thing over there, and he was chatting, he was moving, and he was talking. And, and I'll be quite honest with you, I was not doing well. Pastor Allen was having a bad day. Can such a thing happen? Talk to my wife. I was not in a good place. I was in poor spirits. And... Anything small probably was going to set me off. I, I don't like being that way, but I'll be honest with you. I was that way. And there was this guy in front of me, and he was just annoying me. And I sat there in silence. And I'm embarrassed to tell you, church, I judged him with my eyes, and I judged him with my ears. He had nothing to do with me. I was intolerant of him. I just, I just wanted him to go away. I just didn't have respect for him. And as I sat there, muddled up with all of that, whatever that is, whatever that gunk is that says, get out of my face. <laughs> I'm not even joking you. I'm embarrassed to tell you. The Holy Spirit convicted me. And as I sat there, I heard the Lord speak loudly into my heart. And he said, Alan, do you love him? Conflict is five minutes away. It's right around the next corner. It's waiting for you today at home. It's waiting for you before you leave this church. It will be at your office, in your family, on Facebook. And that may be one of the best questions that we could possibly ask ourselves before we get entangled and entrenched and riled up. Do I love this person? You might disagree with them. They might be so wrong. But these are the words that I'm going to say, and they're ready to pop out of my mouth. Hang on a second. Do I love this person? My demeanor, my tone, my attitude, my actions. Do I love this person? They can be wrong, wrong, wrong till the cows come home. I still have to love this person. And they should know that. In fact, let's say the conflict actually gets going and we're going through a few rounds. Do you want to know what the most clear thing should be to this other person that you are in conflict with? Not the point that you make, not to put them right, not to prove your point. The most obvious thing in everything that you're doing in the context of, of, uh, of, in the context of conflict is this. They would know that you just love them unconditionally. Who's doing that? <laughs> nobody's doing that. What am I asking of you? What would God say to you in the context of real conflict? I am not going to pat you on the head and say to you, you know, just get on out there and try your darn best to be nice. 
pretend that issues aren't issues, problems aren't problems, just go with the flow, be nice to everybody. I'm not asking you to be a doormat to people's abuse or to things that are genuinely wrong to be mistreated. I'm not asking you to turn a blind eye when there is, uh, when, when that is out there that is opposed to truth and is opposed to love. I would ask you to be fairly quick to say, there's some pieces of language I think followers of Christ should be fluent in. I'm wrong. Can I please have your forgiveness? Can I say to you this? If in the last 24 months you have not said, I am wrong, can I please ask for your forgiveness? I'm going to question where you're at on the infantile maturity scale. In the last 24 months, if you haven't once said that, that should be fairly quick as followers of Christ. We should be fluent in that language. Humility. Because even if you're right, 100% right, but you don't have love. Do you know what 1 Corinthians 13 says to that? It really doesn't even matter how right you are. You're just a noise. You're just a clanging symbol. I was wrong. Would you please forgive me? For for followers of Christ, that is language that should sit well in your spirit. Consider the curse over Adam and Eve, the very place where we started today, the beginning of conflict between two people, this first marriage, man asking the question, am I enough? Men who labor and nothing seems to come easy. Everything seems to be hard. Everything comes at a cost. Jesus Christ enters into this curse. Galatians chapter 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That is what he would say to you, men. And for women who ask the question, look, am I just too much? This desire and this painful craving inside of me for relationship, this desperation to be rid of an emptiness inside of me and feelings of loneliness, Jesus enters into the depths of that loneliness and he says even to his own father in Matthew 27, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Desperate, that desperate feeling inside of Christ himself. He knows what it's like for his own life and his own death to be a spectacle of utter failure and shame. And yet Jesus would not withdraw from what the Father asked him to do in the context of conflict. Well, what did the Father ask Jesus to do in the context of conflict? It's what he asked you to do. He asks you to taste of what Christ did. This is what it means to follow him. Jesus says, I will enter into the greatest conflict of all time, and I will say yes to suffering in that conflict, in order that I may bless. <laughs> Nobody's doing that. I will say yes to conflict. I will suffer in that conflict in order to bless. And when you do that in ways that I don't fully even understand, at least what happens is you become, you come to a place where you at least 
come to understand and comprehend the other person. Our task is to taste the work of what Jesus Christ has done. An ability to be wronged, an ability to be wronged, an ability to be wronged, to suffer and suffer and suffer and then enter into that conflict so that you could bless the other person. It is not a small task. Neither was the cross. Three things the Holy Spirit would call you to the next time you bump into conflict. Number one, the first thing you do is you speak to God. You tremble in humility because you have heard His voice. Number two, you pray and you intercede for this other person rather than just finding fault. And number three, you become a peacemaker who champions unity in your family, in your friends, in your church, and in the city. Who's doing that? Well, that's what the followers of Christ do. So I want to pray for you right now. I want to pray for every wounded person here. I want to pray for every person who's going to leave this room and go out and restore a broken relationship. And I want to pray for this church that we would enter into all future conflicts looking a whole lot more like Jesus Christ. Father, I ask you for healing over every hurt person. Every person who's holding on to grief and regret and embarrassment and bitterness and unforgiveness and the wounds that we have endured. We ask you for gentle healing in your presence right now. We present to you the, the ugliness of the truth of who we are, short tempers, acidic words. And we ask you for wisdom and love. We present to you our bruises and our scars. We pray that you would tend to us like the Father that you are. God, we love you. I pray for courage and wisdom for every person who will leave here today to go put a relationship right. Would you fill us with supernatural love so that it would be an unmistakable to any person we approach and we would win them over with love and we would champion restoration. I pray for the church. I pray for community church. I pray that we would fight for truth well, that we would represent the gospel in a way that makes you proud and that we would love each other deeply. And all of God's people said, Amen. Church, do you still love me? Because I love you guys. I really do. I love you guys. <laughs> challenging, challenging stuff. Praise God. Okay, here's what I want to do. Uh, last week, we had 90 plus people who felt disconnected uh, in our church, connected right into a connect group. We've got your kids. We've got your snacks. We've got your coffee. And uh, I want to invite you, I'm going to head down to info and then past info down here to the chapel. If you here today are like, I don't really know many people around here, or I used to and I, I feel a little disconnected, or you're new in the last few weeks or months, uh, I'd love to invite you down to a connect group and get to know each other. So blessings, you're dismissed. For those of you who are hanging out, straight down to the chapel. God bless.